0: They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of.
2: Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of interstate battery retail stores all over the United States. So whether you need a a new truck battery, which, by the way, I've heard that they are some of the best in the automotive industry, right? A truck battery, a car battery. If you need batteries for something as simple as a remote control or a unique battery for a range finder or one of your children's toys, uh Interstate Batteries not only has those batteries available, if they don't have them, they can order them for you, or if you need to find out more about a specific battery battery or the specs of a specific battery, stop into their retail store and talk with a battery specialist. These guys are very knowledgeable about what products they offer and what it is that you need for whatever battery you're looking for. So... Stop in to a local retail store or visit InterstateBatteries.com to learn more about their company, the batteries that they offer, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So check out InterstateBatteries.com. Interstate Batteries outrageously dependable.
3: My name is Clay Newcomb and I'm the host of the Bear Honey Magazine Podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting, the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, Chasing Bear. We've gone and done it this time, folks. We've got Uncle Ted Nugent on the podcast. We have a very interesting conversation with him, replete with three separate impromptu serenades, guitar serenades that you're going to have to check out. In the conversation, we talk about the threats to modern hunting. We talk about Ted's hunting roots. We talk about how how he stayed clean and sober for 72 years. We talk about Fred Bear. We talk about some poaching. We also talk about high fence hunting. Interesting stuff. You're gonna enjoy this podcast with Ted Nugent. And you gotta listen to the very end to hear him sing Fret Bear. It's right at the end. Wait for it. Ted Nugent is planning to use some Northwoods this year. Ted drew a tag that he's excited about up in his home state of Michigan. Bear tag. And uh, he's gonna be using some Northwoods Bear products. These guys make the highest quality best commercial bear scents that, that I have used. Northwoods Gold Rush is my go-to thing. I talk about it constantly. It's a fry, It's a concentrated fryer grease additive. So you can add it to used fryer oil that you'd like get from a restaurant or get done with a fish fry, put some of this concentrate in it. Or you can buy new oil from the store. A lot of times if I don't have fryer oil, I will buy gallon jugs of canola oil and mix the Gold Rush right in it. Check out NorthwoodsBearProducts.net. W Hunting Supply. These guys are your go-to source for everything that has anything to do with a dog. If you need collars and leashes, custom name plates. If you need Garmin equipment. If you need tracking collars. If you need a no bark collar. Do you have a dog that barks too much? Get a no bark collar from W Hunting Supply. Buddy Woodbury and his team up there in Yakult, Washington are geared up and ready and they're known for superior customer service. They use the products they sell. Check them out. Any kind of dog hunting, any kind of dog stuff you need, W Hunting Spot. CVA muzzleloaders are the best muzzleloaders on the market. They've got an incredible guarantee on their guns. Here's what it says on their website. They call it the best muzzleloader you've ever shot guarantee purchase any cva acura series muzzle loader and test fire it up for up to two weeks if you do not agree that your acura is the best muzzle loader you've ever shot just ship the cleaned and undamaged guns back to us it gives the address along with the store receipt as a proof of purchase and the return package must be postmarked within 15 days the full refund of the purchase price will be made within two weeks that's a pretty darn a gutsy guarantee these cva muzzleloaders can back it up i want to talk to you today about their acura muzzleloader it's a breakover muzzleloader and it's the most accurate breakover muzzleloader you can buy breakover just means that it's very easy to clean very easy to deal with you don't even need any tools check out cva.com to get geared up for this fall If you're listening to this podcast on Thursday, August the 20th, 2020, you can get 20% off of select men's and women's styles of First Light gear. This is their opener sale. And you're going to be real disappointed if you listen to this after the 20th because the sale's not going on. It's going on just today. Today, if today is, in fact, August the 20th. The First Light opener sale... 20% off, a whole bunch of gear. Check it out.
1: But if it wasn't for that, I would not be. I consider a long drive to my fire tree stand.
3: (laughs) Well, I'm here with Ted Nugent. Mr. Ted Nugent. And
1: you feel right at home, don't you? I do. It's almost like a Opening day of deer season, 24-7, and in my case, 72. I have my 72nd opening day this year. How lucky and prioritized am I, Clay Newcomb? Huh? Excellent. <laughs>
3: Excellent. Well, you wouldn't remember this, but I did meet you in 2000. I, just a guy in a line. You came to Northwest Arkansas. Sure. And um, you did uh, you did like a Hunter Expo. Sure. Yeah, I just walked by in line and just shook your hand or yeah, something. Yeah, I, I, I but, remember so you, your,
1: your good looks, but I didn't nah. know that you were Clay Newcomb, my spirit of the mystical flight of the Arrow blood right. Brothers. So, you know, I and, and you mentioned that, and you can tell that I'm high energy and I'm a happy guy and I'm really alive. It's because of those kinds of connections that I've been just humbled and privilege to have where people share that spirit that that god family country hunting nature conservation and they really express that i'm sure that even in a moment hello handshake i'm sure that at an event especially a hunting expo yeah i'm sure that Attitude and that connection, that brotherhood, even though it might be a quick handshake or an autograph or a hey, here's a picture of my dear. Um, I tell you, I take all those to heart, and I've been clean and sober for 72 years, so my radar still works and my memory still works. And mostly, the the result of a quality of life, clean and sober, is that your spirit misses very little. Mm. And so I, I I have those connections in all fifty states, every Canadian yeah. province, where in all my European travels, African travels, I, that human connection, it, it, what a blessing, huh? Yeah,
3: you know, yeah. You uh, so you're you're still traveling and touring?
1: Yeah, well, the, you know, the Chinese the communist band. virus well, got say, in my yeah. way this year. But yeah, I last year, Clay, are you kidding me? Twenty nineteen. The music made me do it was the name of my record, my tour with Jason Heartless on drums. So
3: you're still you're still writing music.
1: Yeah, I can't can't stop. You can't stop. See these weapons of mass construction. Yes. I, I fondled my bow and arrow, my dogs, my guitars, my trucks, and my beautiful wife, I, I embraced that <laughs> essence of all those things that still at my old age it's still really turns me on so yeah i play my guitar every day i love it yeah. i i went down to texas metal just wrench gods that create these masterpiece trucks and stuff and while i was there for their tv show i played the star spangled banner and some grinding animal breeding soundtrack motor city licks and uh so everybody there's a great musical connection obviously yeah. and i still love that stuff you know
3: does your so you're very passionate about your music, but you're obviously very passionate about your hunting. Very. Where 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 do those intersect, or which one would uh, which one has more influence inside of your life? Well, they would be asking me which
1: dog, which I love leg the best. you want to cut off. <laughs> yeah. no, I, you know, I was born in Detroit, 1948, yeah. and a lot of people don't know this because they probably went to school in America. Detroit was the arsenal of democracy. That w- mm. Have you heard that term? Nope. See, you were, you yeah. were anti-educated in America. A whole bunch of things you haven't heard about. Detroit, arsenal of democracy, that Herculean work ethic and patriotism and drive of excellence and productivity, so you're an asset right. to your family. Instead of making trucks and cars, Detroit started making tanks and howitzers and ammo and bombs and, mm. and jets. So... That spirit of victory over the evil Japanese empire and the Nazis, can you imagine a more positive celebration in a human experience? The world was jeopardized, life itself. And Detroit was a manufacturing powerhouse. Yeah, so that work ethic permeated everybody, I think not just Detroit, but all across America. But Detroit, it was so um, universal, so ubiquitous, and especially with my mom and dad, the discipline factor, but my dad, Clay, all right. Hands are the, in the air. Hands here's are in the, the air here. Here's the, Eyes closed. Here's the moment <laughs> of infamy. My dad was already a follower of Fred Bear and a bow hunter when I was born in 48, and Les Paul had just electrified the guitar a few years earlier, and it was at that time that Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and, Lonnie Mack and Dwayne Eddy started unleashing these noises, these intensities that had never been accomplished on any other instrument. Mm. I fake a keyboard thing. They wish they could bend a note like we do. And so what an aura. What a firestorm of inspiration. The mystical flight of the Air, which every kid, of course, every child had a bow and arrow and a Red Rider BB gun. I actually have one right there, my Daisy Red Rider BB gun. Yeah. So every kid, and, and every, we all made slingshots. And yeah. And we all cut inner Now, teams. were
3: you, you were in the city of Detroit, though? So it's, yeah. it wasn't like rural. <laughs> was, Your dad would go up north, and that's a big thing yeah. in Michigan. Up
1: north. Go up north. Yeah. So these
3: guys worked down in the cities yeah. in the yeah. southern part of the state
1: and then went up and hunted the north. But unique to my birth in Detroit it was Detroit proper you could see the skyline but the Rouge River flowed through the area which is why Detroit and every major city was founded you needed waterway right. well that waterway still winded through the entire area even into the suburbs and beyond and it was a wildlife paradise, the pheasants, the quail. There mm. were no deer at all, but beavers and coons and possums and muskrats and skunks and river rats and, and, and squirrels and ducks and geese and I mean, just all this wildlife yeah. that mesmerized me. And with my homemade slingshot and some really good looking marbles and pebbles, I learned the stalking, stealth, excitement. Mm -hmm. And especially with homemade bows and arrows. And I still have my first 1955 U wood longbow. I still have it. From
3: From 1955. 1955, yeah. Were you naturally like a really good shot? I mean, like my kid, I've got got two boys, two girls. And uh, a couple of them, you can just tell, are naturally more inclined to just pick up a bow, you know, when they're four years old and hit what they're aiming at. Were you pretty, were you natural?
1: Clay, I wish I was still that natural. I'm not kidding. You, you should do an interview with my cousin, Mark, was we were on a nonstop safari from the time we were six or seven. <laughs>
3: Muskrat, king, I,
1: I had the Songbird safari. Grand Slam by the time I was eight. Um, and I'm not kidding. You heard stories of Howard Hill shooting doves and rabbits. Right. I actually know that Doug Walker, who hunted with Howard on the islands of California, he would have an arrow in his hand. Everything was a back quiver. Mm. Fred hadn't invented the bow quiver yet. Mm. And... Doug Walker would tell me how they would go for walks, and if he saw a sitting rabbit, Howard Hill wouldn't let him shoot it. He'd mm. take his first arrow, and and get it running and, half draw and shoot. Yes, and he'd and Doug said he that wanted he, to shoot it running. He didn't ever remember him missing. So I don't want to claim to be Howard Hill, and I wasn't. And I'm no Fred Bear, but as a kid, I had such a a zero baggage free spirit of hand-eye, cor- after, after millions of arrows, I shoot out all the time, and I'd right. shoot at everything. I'd shoot at a bug. I'd shoot at an ant mound. I would shoot, yeah. shoot, 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 shoot. Uh, at Miller's Feed Store on Grand River in Detroit, after the hunting season, you could buy Port Orford cedar arrows with these beautiful natural turkey feathers, You know, hard helical shield cut with a big old 140-grain uh, field tip, Mm. 10 cents a piece, Clay. <laughs> I would collect enough uh, bottles, and I'd cut enough lawn where I could get three or four of them babies, which nice. back then was a quiverful. Yeah. And I'm telling you, even when I, I break them, we'd, we'd lose the tip, or we'd get that heat glue, Right, But I would just get my pocket knife and just whittle them, and it didn't matter how long it was because right. I you could just, hit stuff at quarter draws. Yes. You'd learn this. It is. It's an instinct.
3: Were you, shoot, were you shooting split fingers?
1: I shooting split fingers. Yeah, that's, that's what, what Fred dad, shot. Yeah. That's Fred, what they – My dad learned from Fred. A
3: lot of guys are shooting 300 these days. Have you I seen I that? did
1: that a lot, and I it it if you shoot compounds – or I suppose under any circumstances, that Apache Draw gives you a rifle barrel. That's what they're doing. Right, to right. A great. Even though there's a little bit of a gap, yeah, um, you're almost rifle barreling. And I yeah. do teach people, I taught a lot of people, introduced a lot of people, and I give them a 25-pound recurve. So it's mushy so that this isn't an effort. And mm-hmm. yeah, I said, just point it like at your finger. And of course, they'll always shoot high the first few times because they're not doing a gap. They don't realize the angle's here and say here. Yeah. Um, but I've turned so many people on with a lightweight, graceful non-compound that they, and I start them at 10, 12 feet yeah. at, at a big thing. Right. So they learn to every every step in life is an adjustment. So your next step is a little more efficient. That's the way I look at archery. Yeah. And the joy, Sarah, Governor Palin, all these young boys and girls, heroes of the military, friends of my sons and daughters, um, they're all, every human's fascinated by projectiles, I think. That's how we, that's how we survive. Yeah. And once you put a bow and arrow in their hand, they become hooked, but not. Not if they start with a compound that they have to struggle it all right, with. Yeah. To, and you don't give them a release and a loop. To, that's You need to discover the primal archery, I think, to discover yeah. your zen, your samurai, where am I going in my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. And once they get that, then they can go ahead and do whatever they want. And typically they do go to compounds because I got to admit, if I had to get dinner with my recurves these days, we'd probably buy chicken often. <laughs> but with my compound, I shoot. Not only do I shoot a Matt they're in trouble. Bow, but I play a I play a Matt McPherson guitar. Oh, did is that right? You, do you know he? I made knew guitars? he made guitars. Yeah. Yeah. So we're looking at a Matt McPherson guitar over here. Mystical Blood Brothers of the Mystical Flight hey, of the did Arrow guitar.
3: So the Mystical Flight of the Arrow, Ted. You wouldn't know this, but. So I was uh, I would have been ten years old in about 1990, and damn uh, Yankees, yeah. That's probably about the time a lot of your hunting videos and stuff were coming out,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and we we grew up watching Ted Nigent hunting videos. We really the, uh, did the uh,
1: down to earth video, funny stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but see, well, it I mystical it with fun.
3: Yeah, it was. Know? Well, so I've heard you say this phrase for 35 years: the mystical flight of the arrow. Is that?
1: Uh, Did you come up with that? No, no, I didn't. Um, A lot of people attribute a lot of the things I say as, that's a clever statement, and they are clever, but I didn't come up with it. For example, I've always, I've been clean and sober my whole life, and I keep emphasizing that because you'll never shoot as good of an arrow if you're drunk or stoned or you get Mm -hmm. chemicals of any kind. Case closed. But uh, because I have influence with a lot of young people because of the intensity of the music and the intensity of my fun factor, which I'm sure you related to because yeah. I was having fun. Yeah, you know, A lot of the guys, Clay, some of the most dangerous bow hunters in the world are <laughs> the dangerous bow hunters because they're so low key that they don't have this this spiritual erection when the beast arrives. So a lot of, and Fred Bear is a perfect example. My hero, he was so easy going. And I yeah. talked with Chuck Adams and uh, it's almost like, it's almost like they're flatlining. And Claude Pollington, I'm name, I could name a hundred killer bow hunters that are not crazy and uppity and energized like I am. So, I've always celebrated that this is my sacred temple. Now, when I was growing up, that was a ubiquitous colloquialism.
3: Mm-hmm. You,
1: have you ever heard that? Yeah, I have. The, uh, in my sacred temple. Yes. You know, it's biblical. Sac- yes. Yeah. So I've used phrases like that. Um, and the mystical flight of the arrow, I think I might have got it from a, um, a Fred Bear tome or a, a, one of his times around the campfire, or probably uh, I'm thinking of there's a, a, a book, Will Thompson. Is that mm. the name? Mm. Um, one of the original guys. So you'd, you'd, you'd heard it somewhere. Yeah, I, I read and, everything. And I, figured I figured you I had. Could. But, with a bow and arrow that hunting deer and archery. So I read all that stuff, and I picked up on uh, Mystical Flight of the Arrow. But I think it is a historical colloquialism yeah. relative to our archery pursuits.
3: Yeah. Ted, do you remember your first big game animal with a bow? I know you do. What was it? Tell Abs- me that.
1: Absolutely. It was a cold October night in 1970. And I've been hunting nonstop since, I, I mean, literally. So you were 22? A, yeah.
3: At 1970 would yeah, you've been 22 years old yeah i would have, I would have been on? 21 21 okay. i would
1: have, i would have been 22 that uh december and i'd been i i think i qualify as officially bow hunting since i was 5 or 6 because i had my bow i followed my dad through the Manistee National Forest up north, and I had a broadhead, and I was shooting chipmunks, and I was looking for a deer. It so, counts. So I, you know, I'd, I was bow hunting. Yeah. Um, and I, and not only didn't I ever kill a deer, we, my dad never killed a deer. Hmm. We never killed a deer. We went every year. <laughs> we never killed nothing. I mean, I got. <laughs> the world slam us now he could
3: have been hunting with a firearm yeah and i did but he, he chose did, to shoot
1: yes a bow. and we did book, gun did. hunt too november okay. 15th was just too powerful to ignore
3: okay so it was just in the bow season he was yeah following. yeah mm-hmm. gotcha
1: and and so it was uh, it was october of 70 and i hunted every day i could i was on tour non-stop i hunt i did 300 concerts a year, sometimes 350. So I'd have a week or two to bow hunt. Mm. And I still didn't understand the rut yet. We didn't know nothing. Right. Uh, There was just no real knowledge out there, especially pertaining to archery constrictions. So I never killed nothing, but I kept going clay. I I kept strategizing. I was trying to figure them out. And this was a time when, Whitetails were just beginning to really appear in southern Michigan, where my original farm was. So I had watched this doe and fawns, and i seen these bucks. And this, I, I used to climb trees and just hang on to limbs. I was a monkey. I was an absolute ape. I mm-hmm. could climb any. I was, I was like Bruce Lee. I was so wiry. Yeah. I just climb these limbs, and I'd get up in a crotch and stand there all day. <laughs> and finally, this doe and two fawns came out. And of course, my heart's gone, and I'm going. You, you goofball! You, you can shoot squirrels. Pretend there's a squirrel there. Pretend <laughs> yeah. that's a squirrel behind her shoulder, and yeah. I hit high, but I spined her in mm. my second recurve. Was, yeah, recurve. Uh, a Cedar bear, shafts? a bear Kodiak, um, probably, and you know, forty-six pounds at twenty-eight inches. I'm shooting. Thirty-inch at the time, microflight, microflight glass arrows, mm. microflight tens with a okay. bare razor head with okay. with the insert, and I knocked her down. And I was out of body, and my second arrow was perfect because now I don't know the the planets can align, and I called upon that natural hand-eye guy that was shooting squirrels. Yeah, and it, it, I held that doe's head in my hands. And I sat there out of body. And from then on, I've caught up because it's about spirit emotion management, heart rate management, mm-hmm. and and directing your priorities to shoot a good arrow, not the deer. Yeah. I mean, some of those psychological right. problems that many of us encounter that manifest horrifically in target manic. The, the guys that are a little bit more relaxed, I really envy them because they might not know that. They're... However, here's a great story you're going to love. So, 77, 76, 77, I mean, I would killed a lot of deer by then. Mm-hmm. I started killing deer pretty regularly. I'm in a tree up north in our land in, near Irons, Michigan, and I got an eight-arrow bear bow quiver. And I was shooting aluminum's, the still with the uh, hard helical shield, cut real feathers, right out of the bear catalog. In fact, Fred gave them to me. I was already mm. connected to Fred by this time. Yeah. And uh, that buck, a, a buck came, and of course, I'm helpless. <laughs> <laughs> I was just a wreck. It, it, I, I don't mean to, you know. Beef is, you know, too disrespectful, but that moment kind of prepared me for nine eleven, um, and I know that was a horrific, death and destruction moment that shattered all of us emotionally. But I, 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 I don't mean to offend anyone, but that moment was it was a significant a, moment, significant moment. Yeah. Long story short, I'm not going to repeat what happened, but eight arrows later, he was still walking away. I flinched so violently and i had it got the corner of the mouth Mm -hmm. touched the same tooth (laughs) we're getting hand motions
3: of shots into the air
1: i ran back to my cabin and i called fred Mm. as a wreck i said let me tell you what just happened to me and he laughed i went it's not funny (laughs) <laughs> and he goes, He the same thing happened to him in the nineteen fifties as a as an NFAA field champion. And he said he had the same thing happen to him. And he had to go through quite a routine. And he gave me that routine, ultra lightweight bow, right next to the dam, an arrow length away from a paper plate with a black spot in the middle of it. Uh, you you look at targ- that black spot. Target panic. Yes. You come back yeah. to full draw and you close your eyes. And you f- let these guys work without this guy, because this guy's wrecking this guy. <laughs> yeah. The eyeballs somehow yeah. inflame enrage this and enrage the psyche. And I haven't beat it, as you know, nobody does. But I have, sign of the cross, I have managed it yeah. since that day. And I did go to a compound shortly after. I thought that might help. It didn't. Um, but over the years, um, I, I've gone through that heartbreak and horror and I've helped a lot of people who have experienced that, that don't know what it is they have no idea why the hand is thrown violently off target yeah. or they can't even get it anywhere near the target yeah. it's un, it's it's a it's a failure sense, of it? the human spirit but I have managed it and if <laughs> failure people want of the human spirit. I write a lot of articles and I, I've addressed this in deer and deer hunting in a bunch of publications I write for And I'm convinced that too much draw weight will result in target panic more often than not, and that's the number one cause of attrition in our sport. It's why Mm. the numbers of bow hunters, if you take out crossbows, which is fine, but it's not the mystical flight of the arrow as as far as I'm concerned. Um, It's the number one cause of attrition, too much draw weight, the discomfort and the damage done because of too much draw weight, the alerting of the animal humping that too much draw weight, and the the fanning of the target panic flames that guys just hang them up on nails and they go to a crossbow. And they keep telling me, I'd rather bow hunt, but I can't draw the bow. Then get one you can draw. Shemaine kills Everything with thirty-five pounds, everything moved yeah. not moose yet, but elk and kudu and zebra yeah, and wildebeest. A lot of so, and her 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 arrow, uh, uh, four hundred grain gold tip with a two-blade, you know, like a bear razor had a hundred grain, or I think it's a steel force we use with Jermaine. Thirty-five pounds, six hundred plus pound oryx in and out like butter. Yeah, How, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know much more penetration you want. Yeah, and so the industry, I think, is really missing the lick for recruitment and retention by rela and especially with the the technology of modern bows. Of uh, her thirty five pound bow certainly outperforms any sixty pound recurve of your. Yeah, I'm sure. convinced of that. So yeah. that's my spiel to get people to join yeah, that's the good. joys of bow hunting.
3: Yeah, that's good. Ted, what uh, like? What is your favorite hunt anywhere in the world, anywhere in the country, where, what is your favorite, what's your favorite thing to hunt? It's so easy. The next one. I, okay. I,
1: I don't care what it is. Obviously, really? So you don't have a. The white tail is, is mystical. There's no question. And it's right. so target rich. And I get to hunt every day. Don't hate me, but I hunt every day, September, October, November, December, January, and February, and yeah. pretty much the rest of the year too. Um, but I, I love stalking woodchucks in Michigan. I like walking the fence rows just before dark and shooting cottontails. And it's thrilling to me because it's a small target and it, yeah. it really teaches you to pick a spot. And obviously the white deer because I get so many tags and I feed so many soup kitchens and homeless shelters and the joy of shopping for those soup kitchens and homeless shelters really fires my spirit. And I've hunted elephant and rhino and Cape Buffalo and lions and elk and moose and caribou. And I've hunted, I haven't hunted the sheep or the mountain goats and stuff yet. I'd love to, but not with these knees. Um, Clay, my favorite hunt is the next good arrow. Now, yeah. I could tell you stories about little boys and girls who their last request in life is to go hunting with Ted Nugent. How the hell I ever earned that, I don't know. But for 30-plus years, families get a hold of us, and their little boy or little girl is going to be dead soon. And their last request was to go to hunt with Ted Nugent. They see Spirit of the Wild TV, and or they might mm-hmm. see me doing an interview and talking about the arrow, and I'm funny, and I'm yeah. I'm alive, and these kids get it, and I can't. Even, I'm pretty good with the English language, but I'm helpless to convey what that campfire is like. And oftentimes yeah. we don't really kill anything, though oftentimes we do. But that I get the kids laughing, and we take their mind off the chemo or the the imminent end. Right. Uh, those aren't even, those aren't even really hunts per se, but it's an experience that came about via the hunting ethic, the hunting lifestyle uh, that it, 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 I, I, I stumble to express what happened. You can, you can well imagine. Sure. And so those are favorite moments that are part of my hunting life that are, uh, a gift from God. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know how I ever qualified for that, but that they decided I did is all I need to know.
3: That's great. Let me ask you a question about uh, just kind of the North American hunting in general. So we're, you know, the it seems the real issue is hunter recruitment. I think the stats say there's 11.5 million hunters in the U.S. today. Peak hunting numbers were in the 1980s, around 16, 17 million, some, somewhere in that range, our population is increasing. So we continue to become this smaller minority. What What would you say are the key features of of our hunting culture persisting, Ted? Because and it's and and we know that it's so much more than just our kids being able to hunt or something. But I mean, you know, the North American model of Wildlife Conservation is the most successful animal husbandry, human endeavor of all time. So Truly. like there's like our hunting is propping up, saving wild places It's propping up. It's propping you know, up
1: quality air, soil, and water is what it's propping up.
3: So how do we, so, you know, cause everybody knows, I mean, there's a lot of narratives and a lot of them are good. And I realize there's not one thing, but what, what do you see? What do you think? we? It is, is a
1: spicy cocktail of, uh, Ingredients. So I'll start with number one. And again, I have a big mouth. I think the founding fathers wanted all Americans to have a big mouth. This is an experiment, self government. The experiment's over. We, the people, are supposed to be in charge. And some people hate me because I am in charge, because I'm doing what the founding fathers wanted us to do. And it's relating to the recruitment and retention and attrition. In the conservation world, license right. sales, uh, family hours of recreation, the gargantuan economy relative to it—it's gar- right. it's 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 immeasurable. It, it's way beyond any measurement I've right. seen. Right. <clears throat> Number one, the criminal abuse of power and corruption in all bureaucracies that it has weaseled its way into all game departments. I'm sure as a publisher and an editor and a visible promoter of this great sport, the greatest sport, I'm sure you get communication from these, our, our fellow hunters. Not like I do. I don't care if it's a sushi bar or the Whole Foods or a rock and roll concert or the gas station or a kid's school. Every day of my life, for as far back as I can remember, at least 50 years, because in every interview I've ever done as a rock and roller, I've always mentioned the mystical flight of the arrow and how I get high on nature and backstraps and the challenge and the excitement yeah. and the electricity of sneaking up on a career with a sharp stick. I keep it yeah. entertaining, but I don't mean to keep it entertaining. I just can't help myself. Yeah, <laughs> That's so contagious that people that would have never read Bear Hunting Magazine, don't even know there's an Outdoor Life magazine, never even heard of Fishing Game, don't even know what a backstrap is, they do now because of me. In a rock and roll interview, I always turn it towards hunting. Yeah. And the game laws are so absurd and anti-science, anti-wildlife management, That I am bombarded constantly with angry, frustrated people quitting because they got a ticket for not having their bow case zipped Mm. or for moving an apple closer to their tree stand, Clay. No one's ever gonna come up and share that with you. They shouldn't, no offense. But I am bombarded with this. Deer are eating corn. In every cornfield on planet Earth. Why can't they eat it closer to my tree stand? Yeah. CWD. (laughs) Bullshit. So number one cause of attrition. People quitting because they're being harassed by anti-hunting game departments. Forcing anti-hunting laws on us. Right now, while mm. you and I are sitting here, you and I can't hunt springtime bears in Colorado. We can't use bait, and we can't use hounds. Guess who can? My buddy Scott Young, who's paid with our tax dollars through the USDA, is slaughtering them as damage control because the bureaucrats won't allow us to utilize them as an asset in right. quality control. A lot of people watching or listening right now, they don't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The government uses proven methodologies to bring balanced wildlife that were forbidden to put... Are, are you kidding me? Yeah, People are quitting because they didn't have their bow case zipped up, even though I forced a law that eliminated the bow case law, but they were still enforcing it in Michigan. Mm. And we went nuts
3: You, you really think it. that's a major thing, Number though? Number one. You think so? No,
1: no question. I don't like, think nothing. Not like
3: spare time nope, people?
1: Nope, not even close. Not even access to hunting grounds. And I know they all play a part. Right, right. Nothing is even close to the harassment of, by, of hunters by, by cowboy game fish cops. And I respect the ones who are respectable. Yeah. In fact, you should read the book. Uh, I got I got buddies that are game wardens that are just they're as pissed off as I am. They just throw their hands up and go. So the guy had the deer and he was gutting it and he hadn't put the tag on it. and You're going to confiscate his deer and, and give him a ticket? It's the deer season that's a deer that's his deer license it's the bow season that's a bow he's hunting in a legal area and you have you ever heard one of those stories
3: yeah yeah just people getting caught on i hear them yeah
1: all the time yeah look what they did to me in alaska I've been hunting in Alaska yeah, since 1977. That. I bought my bear tag. I bought it in the area I'm hunting. I'm using the right weapon. I'm using the during the right hours. I, every game law in the history of game law says upon taking possession of the animal, you apply the tag. Right. Every, everyone, all my life. So I'm going to. When I take possession, I'll put the tag on him. So I shot a bear on TV and you know, when you want to break a law, you share it with 50 million viewers. That's yeah. That yeah. proves intent right there, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'll continue with my horror story. So sure enough, Jack booten Thug, U.S. Attorney Jack Schmidt, because you went after Ted Nugent when the Alaska fishing game were not interested. If, if there was anything that qualifies as the perfect, honest mistake, it was right. me
3: bouncing. But you, put it, you put it on t- television. I
1: bounced the arrow off, off the off it, bear. And I went and searched for three days. And then we finally did a stop motion of the arrow and it didn't penetrate. It literally, I caught it. It was a two blade broadhead and I yeah. caught a rib on the straight side. It yeah. literally kicked up straight out of the air and bounced clean off the rib. So we yeah. looked at it, and we went, well, that bear's fine. I can go bear hunt because I hadn't taken possession So right. I had a tag. Yeah. If And they went after me with a vengeance. They spent millions of dollars analyzing all my TV shows to prove that I, because there was a law that was initiated that year on Prince of Wales If you draw blood, that's your tag. Yes. Yeah. How about this? The judge during the court hearing asked Jack Schmidt. the, The judge, and I know how the courts work. This is precedent that when a judge says what the judge said, I've been living in Ketchikan all my life. I bear hunted all my life. When was this law enacted? Because I don't know anybody that's ever heard of it. Right. Grounds for dismissal. But no, Barack Obama and Eric Holder went, can't dismiss, hurt Nugent, shut Nugent up. So, so I. So they, they had a vendetta. You think? Yeah, because yeah. I dare, I dare to demand constitutional adherence from my president and attorney general. And they yeah. couldn't debate me. And yeah. they knew that I was right and they were getting away with murder. So anyhow, that's number one. So number one is the abuse of power and scaring people away because they're getting all these horrible fines. Check out what they did to Chris Brackett. (sighs) So he shoots a buck, and he wasn't sure of the shot with a muzzle. or You know Chris Brackett?
3: Yeah. Do you know the story? I think I do. Well, you're about to
1: know the whole story. Hmm. So guess what the uh, game department in Indiana wants? More deer killed. Guess what the Agriculture Department wants? More deer killed. Guess what the Highway Department wants? More deer killed. Guess what the Center for Disease Control, whatever it is in Indiana, they want more deer killed. Right. We can shoot one buck, so we shot a buck, then a giant showed up. Now, this was a mistake. Must p- apply the tag upon taking possession. He didn't take possession, but he shot the bigger buck and made a TV show out of it. But he had
3: only had one tag. Only
1: had one tag. They never, they never touched the first deer. They never even found the first deer. They did a cursory search, but because they had the giant, and he was going to have his cameraman tag it. Okay, so we're violating. We're intent. That's a pretty.
3: That's a major violation, though.
1: Or is it? Is it a? Ma- is it a major violation? Well, just, a, wait, let me let me finish. In a state that wants more deer killed, okay, you know what? It is a yeah. major violation in somebody that has common sense. I'll tell you what the major violation is. Chris, you jerk. You shouldn't have shot the other buck till you did everything in your power to right. find that first one. Five hundred dollar fine, don't do it again. Donate the meat to the charity.
3: Well, it was his intent though. Instead I mean you can't ruining, defend that
1: guy, can you? For, I, I'm sitting here right now defending him. I'm I'm telling you that okay. his his Crime was indefensible, but it wasn't murder. He didn't he didn't a they were making a they ruined his life. They bankrupted him. They went after him and tried to get him on that that insane lacey act felony for shooting an extra deer in a state that while the court case was going on for Chris Brackett, sharpshooters killed thousands of them and cars killed thousands. Thousands more. So give me a logical response to that, why killing an extra deer is a major offense. I'll tell you what a major offense is. Armed robbery, that's a major offense. Rape is a major offense. Arson is a major offense. Shooting an extra deer is petty. They want more deer, and if yeah. I was the judge, I went, Chris Brackett, you're a dirt bag. Five hundred dollars, and I need to uh, need that venison. I need, and if you didn't get it, yeah. I need some of your venison. But more importantly, yeah. Chris Brackett, I would like to bring in the the director of the game department and ask him why can I only shoot one deer while you're slaughtering him with my tax dollars by the thousands, yeah. and then I would indict that guy. Being corrupt, yeah. But are you? We I don't need think to go, we can
3: overlook we, though that they were trying to. I mean that he, what th- were his motivation. Well, his motivation though, well, so, which was so, different than yours with so the mayor. Ru-
1: ruining your life well, and being a prick is.
3: I'm just saying his motivation. Was the perceived deceitful, motivation
1: deceitful? No doubt, five hundred dollar fine,
3: and that he was making a television show, deceitful. and that was major. You know, T- because the TV
1: show has nothing to do with it. We're it talking, maybe
3: shouldn't in the court of law.
1: It, of course, it shouldn't in the but court it, of it law, but it does. Maybe Just like
3: it did with your thing, though, right?
1: Well, I don't think my TV show had anything to do with it because my celebrity and my voice is 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 it eclipses the TV impact. If I didn't have a Spirit of the Wild TV show, I'd still be doing media like it did today of 20, 30 million people condemning the Democrats that side with Antifa. So I don't need a TV show promoting onion to give me a voice because I demand a voice because I'm a free American. So you're right. But be careful, Clay Newcomb. Major offense when did killing you know, a deer become a major I, offense? I,
3: I I see I see your point I really do Thank Ted you. I see your point, but also see inside the context of hunting inside the con- now see you took it outside the context of hunting which because is it's fair. much bigger that's it, 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 fair to do I mean a major offense yes I see what you're saying but inside the, Am inside I the here because- inside the context of hunting <laughs> yeah we'll turn him down just a touch here in the context <laughs> if I'm guilty of anything it's overmodulating. In, inside the context of hunting, that, I, I see that as pretty significant, though. I mean, because it Okay, just, okay it's, I'm with you. Significant. Your, your, your whole position, and part of the reason I'm here, is because I respect you at the level that you have a
1: value system that you live by. Yes. I mean,
3: you have ethics, a value system. Right, right, here's the val- so he,
1: he. I mean, let's talk about the value system specifically for a moment. Ethics are about doing the right thing. Do you know that oftentimes an illegal act is the right thing? How about when I see a deer bleeding to death, stuck in a fence, Right. Ted Nugent is supposed to call a bureaucrat to put this deer out of its misery, what, in a couple hours, maybe tomorrow? It would be against the law for me to dispatch that deer, which I've done many times because the law is immoral. And I think when you take that kind of condemnation and ruin a person's life over killing an extra deer and not tagging the right deer, all right, it's a crime, and it's unethical. $500 fine. That would have hurt him plenty, but not ruin his life. Well, the
3: ruining of his life came from the social consequences of that, though, even more than the—
1: not, those were not social consequences. Those were, those were jackbooted bureaucrat. Con- no, you can't find me a human. Stop hunting. Stop doing your magazine. You go on a crusade and find me a human being that knows about Chris Brackett shooting an extra deer, so we can get that social comment. Nobody
3: knows. Well, I'm, I'm, and I'm t- again talking inside the hunting world. You know, but be I mean, careful. his
1: reputation. But be careful. Inside the hunting world, you'll find people who hate me because I bait. Fred Bear baited. They hate me because I shoot a lot of deer. I have to shoot a lot of deer. So in our own hunting community, you got some inbred cannibals that are so elitist and judgmental, and they play no role in any thought pattern or conduct of mine whatsoever. The worst human beings in the world are people that turn on their own. And because I get to kill a lot of deer legally and ethically and provide venison by the tons to my fellow man, there are people in our industry that absolutely curse me, and they can kiss my ass. And in fact, I don't even need to kill more deer this year, but I'm going to just to piss them off because they're so small minded. So I went hunting too much. Nobody ever said. Who who says you hunt too much? Well, I, I get these uh, from different publishers and people in the industry. You know, they're really angry. They think They think you're a game hog. Really, I shot four hundred sixty-nine pigs from a helicopter one day with my machine gun, and guess who thanked me? The game department, the yeah. la- landowners, the environmentalists, and yeah. the agriculture business. Shut up! The, we have such ignorant, small-minded doofuses in our hunting community. That's just a lunatic fringe. Yeah. The vast yeah. majority. Here's one. Well, they would be go, in anything. Go you know? with me. Go with me to the shot show, and just follow me around. Stay back about fifty feet and follow me around. I have a love affair, a blood brotherhood, spirit connection on intellectual and decency and conservation-wise use levels with the majority of sporting families in this country that my haters hate me even more for. It's it's unbelievable. So, you know, I, I don't think my... Poop doesn't smell. In fact, I'm quite proud of the aroma. But I know that my intellect and my moral guideposts have forced me, along with my drill sergeant dad, to just conscientiously choose the right thing to do. Yeah. And I have. And people will make up that I'm a draft dodger. Not. Never dodged anything that I'm a child molester, you look at the internet, Huffington Post, Salon.org, Wikipedia. How about in New York, I was banned from saying thank you to the NYPD last weekend because according to the New York Times and Governor Cuomo, I'm an anti-Semite, I'm a racist, and I'm a homophobe. Obviously, they don't know my Jewish, black, or gay friends. I've been Mm. surrounded by every imaginable stripe of mankind yeah, For 50-plus years, 60 years. Yeah, and Yet they will level these horrific false accusations against me from the left because I'm so effective at spotlighting their indecency and criminal behavior. And from our own hunting community, I'm guessing they're either stoned or drunk or just mentally ill because if all these families have decided to fulfill their dying sons and daughters' request, with ted nugent i'm i have to be okay they 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 know everything that my haters know what yeah. what more stamp of approval could a man beg for than for a family in that emotional trauma and heartbreak to include the old guitar player <laughs> yeah what i yeah. must have done
3: something hey, right wh- why why do you uh you and this is just the oddest question. But they I, all would, I would ask I would ask you if, if with these if we weren't in this format, why do why do you want to focus on those that are against you so much? I don't to, never do.
1: I'm responding I, to I, something think you, you brought up. No, yeah, yeah. I I don't. Okay. If you follow my average day, I bet one maybe. During an and I'm very active. I do media all the time, and I have my own Ted Nugent Spirit Campfire, right for all these publications. Positive, 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 positive celebration. Good, good, good. Fun, fun, fun. Conservation, conservation. I hate you because you hunt over bait. (laughs) Eat me. Just for that, I'm gonna hunt over bait even more. Fred yeah. Bear hunting over yeah. bait. What uh, 90% of American hunting families in the Midwest hunt over an attractant. So that guy doesn't hate me. He right. hates all those families. Yeah. Beautiful. That's yeah. all we need to know. That's an official yeah. dirt bag right there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let me uh let me and by uh, the way, by the way, I'm focusing on it now because I I mentioned that it's the harassment that is the core of attrition, people quitting because they're okay. getting... Okay,
3: yeah, that was the original question, but wasn't this, it? What, but what, is, what are the factors that are
1: hurting us as... And, and access to hunting land is one of them, okay. but not, not crucial because everybody's got an uncle or everybody's got a buddy and there's plenty of state land. And I know it's a consideration in some instances, and the cost is going up. So these are all yeah. things. But this thing that we just focused on just a moment ago is the inbreeding and cannibalism and the hate yeah. by a lunatic fringe in yeah. our sport. Like, uh, I can't believe you have a sight on your your, your muzzle loader. Right. Can't believe you use a scope. Oh, yeah. sh- what what a, I'm not supposed to be really accurate when I kill the deer. See
2: yeah.
1: this you've seen it. Oh yeah. oh yeah. So that is that is an element that we can crush by identifying their indecency and ostracizing them so that none So of there's the, your
3: str- you just tell me your strategy.
1: So you think that
3: we need to call out those people because sure. what you're saying is we need unity inside this sport. I mean, we need. And, if you and that's, don't
1: want to hone over bait, no baiter ever said. But you is need the right to. thing
3: to do to call those guys out? Is crazy, yes. or does that not make
1: it more divisive, Ted? Oh, I like division. You know the the division I like. I like the division between families that go shopping in Seattle. And the people who are burning down Seattle—that's a good division. I like the division between yeah. a guy who goes to the bank and withdraws from his own account versus the bank robber. I'm with division I'm with is good. So, so we, I want- so we have
3: to. Set, so you you think unity will come inside the hunting world, and that's what we're talking about through calling out these guys that would be you know anti-hunting, fringe, anti-hunting fringe hunters, guys, yeah.
1: Anti, I can't okay. believe you use training wheels. I if you're a real hunter, you would use a longbow. Yeah, and I and I'm all for teasing, and I'm all for cute little, sure. you know, uh, back and forth. But these guys are just nasty. And yeah. again, it's a lunatic and, cringe. Know,
3: that's in every every aspect of life, though. No doubt, there, well, there's these people not? that are that are that are like that.
1: You know where it's not? I I I raced professionally for twelve years with Parnelli Jones and Mickey Thompson and Ivan Stewart. It didn't exist. The guy mm. that raced for Ford never said a bad thing about the Chevy guys. It was camaraderie. I am in mean, the music industry. how do
3: we unify people, though? Like, I, I hear what you're saying about, uh, I mean, I understand your philosophy there about, like, uh, calling well, out the bad guys. Yeah, it's a
1: proven methodology, actually. You should come up. I, I've, I've sold out all my hunts again this year. I have 12 to 20 people at my um, hog operation in Michigan every weekend, September, October, November the greatest human beings on the planet they support any individual choice methodology weapon right. system most I, people do you no know? yeah the it, again yeah, the, the haters and yeah. the squawkers are a thin lunatic fringe but we really are united except that you have some of these judgmental people find their way into the outdoor writing community. Now, there's mm. less of it than there was for a while. i never forget Outdoor Life was telling us that we shouldn't wear camo in public and avoid the hunting issue. Huh? How do you promote something that is coming under attack if you hide from it? No. Mm. And I always wrote, and I got condemned by some of those writers— Wear camo all the time. Have that deer in the back of the truck and open the door for that lady. Help her with the groceries. Tip yeah, yeah. your hat and say hello and show them that you're good people. Just like, what do they call it, the uh, the camo arv- arvada when the hurricanes hit? Who do you think saved all those people from the floods? Duck hunters. Big truck deer hunters. Yeah. that that's how you and they're all camo and they even had you know ar-15s come and get it so i cbs didn't know the guy had the t-shirt on and yeah. anti-hunting cbs actually showed a promotion of gun ownership yeah. so be outspoken yeah. be courteous and friendly and be sure they know you're a hunter wear that n-r-a hat yeah to counter the lies about guns
3: you know I, maybe some of the roots of this philosophy would have subconsciously come from stuff i've heard you say over the years but i you know i think that any dedication to craft dedication to something that takes as much energy effort as hunting does to be successful samurai makes you a better human no like question you know a lot of guys talk about like limiting factors inside their hunting like how can i be more successful what I always say is that the way you could be a more successful hunter is to be a better human outside of hunting. Absolutely. If your family's in order, if your finances are in order, That's why referenced- if your life is in order, then you're going to have more time to unite here. So I always take hunting as a position of, you know, hunting is not salvation. I mean, it's not, it's, it's, you know, we might be dedicated to something else that could do a similar thing. Maybe not as fun, not as good, but dedication to craft gives you the opportunity, can make you a better human. And that's that's what I say to these to our to our hunters is
1: pursuit of excellence, goodwill, goodness yeah, better. Neighborliness, positive spirit, generosity, caring, not being judgmental. If you don't I've never said, well you're not as good as I am if you don't hunt. I go, n- not everybody's a hunter. Not everybody's a a wool rancher. I'm glad you do it because I like my wool clothing, but I, I don't have a sheep herd (laughs) it's about excellence samurai life liberty pursuit of happiness in your given calling and you're absolutely right that's why i mentioned my campfires and i've been doing this since the late 60s sharing campfires boy you could become you know jaded on the positive side you could become convinced that the world is perfect if you just came to my campfires every weekend in Michigan and Texas. These are the greatest people, entrepreneurs and work ethic and fun and positive energy. And we talk Mm -hmm. about charities and we talk about guidance and schools and, and challenging elected employees to adhere to their constitutional oath. I'm telling you, I am not the weird guy. I am that rancher. I'm that hardware store operator. I just happened yeah. to be the guitar player. And I promote the things that turn me on the most. But I also promote my welding buddies and the mechanics and the plumbers yeah. Yeah. and the teachers and the cops. So you're absolutely right. You find a person who's really a dedicated hunter. It doesn't mean they have to kill a deer every year or a big buck or, or, or focus on trophies, even though a good woodchuck is a trophy to me. But you'll find that the the, the inescapable discipline of stealth, marksmanship, m- mystical flight of the arrow, zen, that as they pr- as they pursue and discover upgrades incrementally in those pursuits, right. they're going to be a better teacher. They're going to be a better father, a better husband, a better brother. I'm convinced of this. Yeah. Um, so th- I call it the spirit of the wild. And I think we can go back to the Aborigines, the Native Americans with Cochise and Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull and the oneness with the great spirit that they always referenced. And the lyrics to My Great White Buffalo that came from divine intervention on a jam session. I didn't know the the legend of the Great White Buffalo, but I sang it lick for lick spontaneously. I made them up. Made, the mm-hmm. lyrics came, mm-hmm. I think, because of the spirit that I've discovered and that I've been saturated with from learning to get close to that quail at, on the Rouge river in Detroit in 1954. Yeah. Uh, There it's not just physical. It really is spiritual.
3: Let me, let me go back to something that I wanted to, uh, that's related to this very much. So that I've always wanted to, well, I've wanted to talk to you about this. Where did you, so I've heard you say you were clean and sober for all these years all my life where it takes a lot of uh identity to be able to be in the places you were in the culture that you were in and not fall into that where did that come from Ted I mean and I, I know you could I mean like where did the strength to be oppositional to the time come from
1: just listen. Just uh, this is an official performance, and I'll keep it down so you can hear everything. But have you ever heard my song? I just want to go hunting. I don't. I don't think I have. Well, you're about to, and I'll keep it down so that you, the lyrics are forceful. It goes- I was always different nobody understood i didn't play follow the leader i was always in the woods where well, they hadn't invented peer pressure yet seems i stood alone
3: <laughs> there you go my
1: daddy had a vision love family and a home was well, some Punks used to laugh at me. They said, how can you rock and not get high? I just stood my ground. And I watched those punks fall and die. Because I just want to go hunting. Look at the goosebumps. Makes me feel so good. I just want to go hunting. Try to find me in the woods. Things get a little crazy. In this day and age, the concrete jungle warfare got everybody in a rage. Well, I sure like my rock and danger, and I crave my rock and roll. But when I get my limit, I know where to go. <laughs> I just jump into four wheel drive. And I load up the dogs in the family cuz I'm gonna feel alive with the wild life where I can breathe cuz I just want to go hunting Makes me feel so good I just got to go hunting Try to find me in the woods Yeah I'm slipping away I'm looking for a new sunrise I got to feel okay Cause it's times like this Make me healthy and wise <laughs> God told me in the Bible He said, go ahead, whack them, Ted So I'll take my kids hunting so I don't gotta hunt for my kids We like to jump in the four-wheel drive We gotta load up the dogs and the family I gotta, I gotta feel alive With the wild life. Where I can breathe Cause I just wanna go hunting It makes me feel so good I'm gonna always go hunting And I'll always be in the woods 'Cause I'm slipping away. I got to get, get away. I'm getting farther away every day. I gotta feel alive in my way. Cause I'm slipping away. That answers the question. Do you see the goosebumps? I could have literally cried as I was singing that. Is that yours? That's, That's awesome. your life. Yeah. The punks used to laugh at me because I wouldn't get high. You can't rock like that and not get high. So I watched those punks fall and die. All of them. And the ones that didn't die can't talk. And they made fun of me because I'd promote hunting. Well, he's a coward. He murders Bambi. Oh yeah, well, let's reduce precious living, breathing wildlife to a cartoon level. Smoke some more dope. I mean, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> it took a
3: lot of, took a lot of internal fortitude. Did your were your siblings like that, Ted?
1: Yeah, in in different ways. And let me expound on that briefly, because my dad was a drill sergeant in World War II. God bless Warren Henry Nugent, and he was already bowhunting. What was your 14. father's name? Yeah, Warren Henry Nugent um, was a drill sergeant in the U.S. Army Cavalry in World War II in Korea, and he, he brought home his riding crop, <laughs> the same riding crop he trained horses with. <laughs> and mm. my brother and sister, and I just lost my brother John in January, He's a great, great guy. If we are all around the campfire... <laughs> We'd have you roaring with laughter of stories of my dad. Were you the youngest? No, I was the uh, second oldest. Second. My brother Jeff is two years older than I am. Okay. and Then me and then my brother John would have been 65. And uh, my sister Kathy was up north Michigan, right up where we started hunting. Hmm. Um, but he was already a bow hunter. And the discipline factor, we hated him. We were controlled unnecessarily Mm. and fearful of discipline a beautiful parenting system by the way Mm. but he also took me hunting every year and taught me those disciplines slow stealth quiet shadows which I wasn't real good at because, you, you, as you've noticed, I'm a bit uppity. <laughs> Not exactly the personality conducive to sneaky bow hunting techniques, but I've adapted over the years. Um, and then, of course, they would just, my dad would threaten us, touch liquor, tobacco, even though they both drank and smoked. <laughs> go, go figure. Mm. Um, so if anybody was in the vortex of rebellion it would have been me because yeah. I was already rocking my balls off, and he hated that. <laughs> yeah, playing Little Richard stuff, and he wanted me to play Lawrence Walk music. <laughs> His mm. stare, what a what a fascinating uh, yeah. journey. Yeah. So so I would have been inclined to smoke and drink and right. get high, especially in that era where it was ubiquitous. You couldn't get away from it. I'm surprised yeah. I didn't get stoned just on the secondhand dope. Yeah, But I realized, luckily, my dad's discipline I would have dismissed and rebelled against, except by the age I was 12 or 13, I'm struggling to play killer Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, rock and roll. And I saw these great musicians much better than me. I watched them drink and lose their musical touch. I watched them get high and they were always late. And they Mm -hmm. forgot the arrangements. So now my dad's discipline, now had a pragmatic indicator that if I really love the music, which I really love the music, that's a great lick, isn't that song? Yeah, it's good. It's a great lick. That's a rocking lick on acoustic guitar by Matt McPherson. Um, so I was, I never wanted to be a rock star. I never wanted to make platinum albums. I never, I just wanted to make music. The music drove me. You know, they say the guy's getting it for the chicks. I adapted to that later, but I I just make music. Um, So now I'm seeing that my dad's discipline of clean and sober would benefit my musical prowess. And when do you think you came to that revelation? I mean, you you had
3: to have been a little—had some age on you to understand— that. I mean, because you, you said yeah, it was when you're really early, young.
1: Early teens. Really? And then by the time that the beatniks turned into hippies and just began this huge, slobbering, drooling, stumbling, puking, gaggy death march, I'm going, and they were calling it a party. And I'm going, it's not a party. You're dying, you're puking, you're stumbling, you're bumping into people. That's not a party. It's around a campfire with some killer music and some chicks. Where you're cognizant of the chicks, <laughs> if you're comfortably numb, you're 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 a liability. You can't do it. Right. You're late. You know the song goes like this: You dirtbag. That's why I went through so many musicians. So I, you know, all this makes sense as a recipe to what made me what I am. Yeah. But also, Clay, come on, let's admit it. I am a defiant, cocky son of a. And if you want to convince me of anything to try this dope or this cocaine, you're gonna to have to penetrate my intellectual shield
3: that it's gonna be. So better that became for your rebellion. Yes. Was not to do it.
1: I rebelled when, I when
3: everybody did- else was doing it. Yes. So you rebelled the I rebelled against the common the, sense the, way the,
1: the inescapable stupidity. Of the drooling and puking and dying, Clay. I did. I turned down Jimi Hendrix dope, and I said no. And it's gonna kill ya. Now oh, come on, man. So Jimi t-
3: Hendrix tried to.
1: Right, this close, you and me. Yeah. I Keith Moon of the Who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> Not Keith. You got boogers coming out of your nose. You, you, you stink. You, no, it's gonna kill you. I said the words. It's gonna kill ya. Jimi Hendrix, Keith Moon, Bon Scott, ACDC, John Belushi, Sam Kinison. Luckily, Sam sobered up and then he unfortunately died in a car wreck. I over and over again. John Entwistle, the Who? I go, no, I don't know. I know, it's gonna kill you. Yeah. And a bunch of guys you'd never heard of that were just geniuses. Oh my God, gifted musical forces. And they thought they had to just like. Punks used to laugh at me, said, How can you rock? And they thought, How can you rock and not get high? They think they had to do that to rock out. No, 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 no. And and guess who all the good, clean, pretty girls want? The clean and sober guys, you jerks. Um, So there was, you know, the God rewarded me in different ways. But so that song articulates the clear and present system of decision making and again it goes back to the discipline you had to do the right thing or my dad knock your block off remember the term knock your block off Mm -hmm. you really would knock your block off (laughs) it was Mm -hmm. awesome (laughs) and if you can meet all my sons and daughters and all my grandkids that poppy i'm a I'm a force. With How Poppy. many grandkids do you have, Ted? I got I got eleven of them.
3: Eleven grandkids. And
1: when I show up, all of a sudden things get a little bit more organized. And even though they all shoot and hunt and they love off roading with Poppy and they yeah. love wrestling, and I, I, you know, if there's a woodchuck in their garden, they know who to call. Yeah. <laughs> so so it really served me well. But the song says it all. They hadn't invented peer pressure yet. Yeah. Seems I stood alone. But my daddy had a vision, love, family, and a home. Well, how unhip is that? How cool am I? How how prioritized? How smart was I? Yeah, that's. Just,
3: Do you know any other musicians that were in your that would have been a peer of yours that took on that stance?
1: Well, first of all, there, there's different categories of peers. I've been surrounded by the world's greatest virtuosos all my life. I mean, my my musicians in all my different bands, the best that ever walked the earth. And when they're not when they're not in my band typically September through March, because <laughs> I'm not available, um, they work with the greatest artists on the planet. Um, but as far as peer on a on a human, spiritual, free man American level, um, I would say uh, some great, great guys, a lot of straight guys. My band, Jason Hartless, 23-year-old drummer from Detroit, Clean and sober, monster. Greg Smith, my longtime bass player from Pennsylvania. Clean and sober, monster. Uh, I could name so many. My damn Yankees buddies. I'm sure they had some history of this stuff, though. Probably Michael Cardelloni didn't because he was so young when he joined the damn Yankees. Um, so there's a lot of clean and sober guys out there now. Yeah. A lot of them saved their lives by uh, by stopping in time to retain some brain matter. And, and many didn't. But yeah. uh, I think of Gene Simmons of KISS. He's been clean and sober all his life. Mm. Um, I, I'm hard-pressed to think of someone else. Maybe Ricky Medlock of Blackfoot and Leonard Skinner. I think I had him on my spirit campfire recently. And if he hasn't been clean and sober all his life, he is so upbeat and so tuned in. And as an Indian, as a Native American, he and I really have a, a bond Mm -hmm. and i i would venture to say that ricky medlock's never been stoned or drunk because he's just too tuned in he doesn't miss nothing in other words i test my friends by just flicking a pick in the air and the ones that catch it i I feel you gravitate
3: towards them (laughs) hey so okay now i've heard you talk about your guitar playing like it's a beast okay okay we're not on the air and you're not talking about yourself. You're outside of your body. Ted. I often,
1: when I play my guitar, I am. By the way, I swear <laughs> to God, I'm a fan of the music. So okay. The fan so here's my the honest hand.
3: question, and and I and I know you're going to give me an honest answer. How good of a guitar player are you? I mean, it, it, I I'm, I'm, I mean I I know I know you I'm as are good great. As,
1: I'm as good as anybody that's ever walked the earth. I don't care who you mention. And I know them all. I've probably played with them all. And I'm,
3: I've got no reason to not believe you
1: uh, there. The songs I've written are, are monstrosity soundtracks to people's lives. I have heard, who are some of the other great guitar players. There's so many. I mean, my my guitar player, Derek St. Holmes for so many years, Ricky Medlock, Billy Gibbons, uh, uh, Tommy Shaw. They never mentioned Tommy Shaw. He's a monster. Um, certainly, uh, Eddie Van Halen and certainly Clapton and Page, and Beck and Brian May and, um, Sammy Hager's a monster. Sammy's guitar player, Vic Johnson's a monster. Um, Ronnie Montrose was a monster. Of course, you go back to Dick Dale and Lonnie Mack and Dwayne Eddy and Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley. Um, obviously, Jimi Hendrix was an earth mover. Uh, there's so many monster, uh, 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 rich who plays with toby keith is a monster on guitar uh some of these country guys though their tone is horrible and they don't put them up in the mix where they belong brad paisley and the uh, the funny haircut from australia um can't think of his name right now mm. but they're monsters shemaine knows who they are mm. um and i apologize for not knowing his name uh so there's the, guitars are such a sensual individual expression uh, i mean this is well, my, I want you to play Fred Bearforce. I will, but this is my electric guitar. This is my Gibson Birdland. How long have you had this guitar? Um, for probably it looks it, pushing fifty years. It looks like it's been played a little. And if you offered me three hundred thousand dollars, I would have to turn you down, which I already have on numerous occasions. Mm. But this is a this is a really unique instrument that uh, was made as a jazz guitar. In uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. What kind of guitar is this? This is a Gibson Birdland, B Y R D L A N D. It's a hollow body that has the greatest tone in the world. Mm. Listen, listen how smooth you can make it sound. And then you can make it sound really nasty. Um, probably a little too loud for your equipment you? And it does this. It talks to me. It <laughs> talks to me.
3: Flag to salute.
1: Looking around. There's a whole bunch of military flags that have flown over battlefields. There we go. Right on. (laughs) <laughs> Mystical flight of the guitar. Um, <laughs> that was beautiful. It's it such a such an independently expressive instrument because you can bend notes and go where there's semitones where no other instruments mm. can go. Especially with a birdland, I, I I've cultivated the feedback sonics, the overtones, and the 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 unbelievable, unlimited voice of noise. Yeah. And I've actually whooped it into melodies and and patterns. Because it's so noisy, and you stand in front of an amp, it'll just feed back and eat your face, which is a challenge every night. But, yeah, guitars and bows and arrows, man. Yeah. it's great. It's been a beautiful, beautiful thing.
3: Well, hey, we'll end here with a little talk about bears. Tell bears. Me, tell, me, uh, tell me where you're, you're, you're a
1: lifelong bear hunter. All my life. Yeah, back in Michigan, you could uh, didn't even need a tag. You could hunt bears during the deer season. Um, uh, and uh, i think at one time when they first made him a big game man we could buy a, a tag over the counter for 25 bucks you're going back up there this fall clay after 17 years and this is a this harkens back to my condemnation of overreaching bureaucrats again up in the lake county north of baldwin where we have our property and my sister lives bears are dangerously overpopulated, the nuisance bear complaints, putting them in the liability column instead of the asset column. We're supposed to have sound science. In fact, the law in Michigan, I hope it is everywhere, is that wildlife has to be managed based on sound science. There is no sound science to be found in Michigan. You want your Mm -hmm. heart broke? There are so many sandhill cranes, ribeyes in the sky. Follow me on this. I talked Mm -hmm. a moment ago about immoral laws. Some human beings, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, were in a room in Lansing, Michigan, who have credentials in wildlife management, Natural Resource Commission, Department of Natural Resources. These human beings were in a room and agreed that after years of intense and increasing complaints by the agriculture community that the sandhill cranes were destroying millions of dollars worth of crops each year, that they decided you can shoot a ribeye in the sky on sight, but it's you're forbidden to consume them. Mm. It's it's a disaster. That is a disaster when human beings with wildlife credentials can even think in those immoral terms and then make such an immoral decree. So let's go back to bears. So for over a dozen years, the bear population has been expanding. Hallelujah. And we have forensic evidence up in the, uh, the I believe it's called the turtle Club areas, like twenty six hundred acres, historical going back to the early nineteen hundreds club where they just have been ravaged by bears there's just bears everywhere, and they can't draw a tag. I think they allot on this twenty eight hundred acres they allot three tags a year. Well, they went and they did studies, they put the barbed wire in the bait and they got the right. hair and they did forensic studies and everything do no there's there's not thirty two bears in the place there's three hundred and ninety eight bears on the place mm. Three tags only. Hmm. So in my area, on my property, I've been begging. Nobody can have a bird are feeder. Are you up out. in the UP? No, I'm up in this uh, northern uh, of the of lower peninsula, okay. up near the Manistee National Forest. In fact, we were in the Manistee National Forest. So kids are being chased home from bus stops. You see bears daylight hours. They're not afraid of, of humans at all. They follow your truck into the cabin. Um, just, Just inescapable, unambiguous indicators of dangerous overpopulations. And so I finally drew a tag after 17 years, and even though I'm just identifying the bad and the ugly part, now the good part is that I can't wait. I, It's like, yeah. uh, it's, there's something special about hunting anyway, um, whether successful or not, and then there's really something special about being successful, the venison, the spirit, the sense of accomplishment. But when you have lived a life like I have, and I've changed you know, farmland from hayfields to towering forests that I've, had, I've planted myself, and you kill a deer out of a forest that you planted, it's one of the greatest joys of life, almost on a parallel with welcoming a child in, into your family at birth. You know, not quite, but close. Mm. Well, for all my life, I've known the bears have been exploding up there and so i drew a tag and i'm so excited to go up there and start my baiting legally on august 13th and my tag is good for september 13th and i suspect close yeah so I'm, i'm heading up there soon so with with the population of bears up there i have a funny feeling i can be real patient and wait for a big old boar and i'm planning on it and my bait system is so proven with the bacon and the syrup and the dog food and the marshmallows and the beaver i got a bunch of beaver uh, carcasses so i expect to be surrounded by bears of course i'm the eternal optimist i'm sure i'll get skunked for a few days but i expect great great things yeah i can't wait
3: that's good that's excellent you know, we uh we have a I'll end with this and you can you can tell me what you think. The we have a phrase that we're using called guard the gate, Ted, which basically bear hunting in all its forms, baiting, hounds, spot and stop. Sure. You know, we I love every one of them. All of them and I love them equally and they're all and equally important. Exactly, for management tools. Yes. And so I, I I believe that in the broader spectrum of North American hunting, bear hunting and predator hunting specifically is important because it is the entry point for the anti-hunting community to to come into our space. That was proven
1: in the trapping fiasco of the of the 1960s when they would manufacture photos of a dead raccoon they find on the road that's half. You know, deteriorated, then they'd clamp a foothold trap on it and claim that trapping is cruel. And because the trappers were isolated, that's that cannibalism and inbreeding I talk about. Nobody from the hunting or the gun industry came to yeah. the defense of the trappers. I immediately right. joined the National Trappers Association. Yeah, yeah. And you'll notice, Clay Newcomb, that you, in my. Th- thousands upon thousands of interviews promoting conservation I and I think I alone have always said hunting fishing and trapping, trapping yes, are you critical management tools for healthy balance if you want quality wildlife and quality air soil and water production from a balanced managed habitat so yeah. trapping is critical cuz it's it's the number one your entry level for the right. the dishonesty and the anti nature anti hunting people you're yeah. absolutely correct yeah
3: well and and so Inside the hunting space, what we're doing at Bear Hunting Magazine is trying to educate people that aren't bear hunters, that don't understand some of the management tools that we use, like dogs, like bait. Like we need those, and to bring unity so that we can have those guys that love hunting, that love North American hunting, come to our aid as the anti hunting community tries to incrementally knock off pieces. I mean, just like they do in Michigan, just like they do anywhere there's a hound season. And so, we have this hashtag guard the gate, which guard the gate means that we have to unify. Like, so even if you're not, the whole point is even if you're not a bear hunter, like there's guys that'll never, that'll never hunt a bear over bait. They'll never hunt with dogs. But if they love North American hunting, if they love conservation, they need to come in and to, to at least give vocal support and not tear down things that Maybe they don't understand. So anyway, guard the gate. You know, we're trying to we're trying to recruit the help through education, like because man, we we nerd out about baiting bears, we nerd out about hounds, and we're we're introducing it to a bunch of people that would hunters that would have no exposure to it, not understand it, and think that it was negative. And it's working. Sure. It's working well
1: that you've witnessed. And if there's a battle cry, guard the gate. Hello, yeah. yes. that, that's what I've been doing my yeah. whole life, yes. and I I saw right away because I've always trapped. I always ran a trap line. I'm not a professional trapper, but I started with you know uh, muskrats and beavers and coons and possums and skunks, and yeah. I'm fascinated when you approach that trap to just set it right. What do you got? It's it's one yeah. of the greatest hunting wildlife management exciting fun techniques that you can indulge in. So yes, uh, I would like to think that in my experience, I'm sure I'm sure yours reflects this, that most hunters that don't hunt over bait for anything, whether it's lions or bears or deer or ducks, um, by the way, when you hunt over bait with ducks, the government will allow you to hunt a flooded cornfield, but don't spill a kernel. <laughs> That's like the kind of things they're talking about. It's nuts. Yeah. Can I shoot six ducks or can I? Just shut up and leave me alone. Anyhow, bear hunting, hounds and bait, and expanded opportunities are one of my main battle cries because I I don't know if you follow me closely or not, but you know why there's a bear season in in, in New Jersey? You know who lobbied Mm. the legislator and the game department? Your old Mm. buddy Ted Nugent. I I Mm. did that with a bunch of New Jersey buddies of mine. And again, Mm. what was the biggest voice against us? Hunters that think it's unfair. Anybody can put out a donut and shoot a bear. Well, show me. Not only that, but you can't even use the donut. You can now, New right, right. because we kept pushing. So right. and then the Pennsylvania, the one day bear season. I just hammered and hammered against. That's not a hunting trip. That's I don't know what that is, yeah. but it's not a hunt. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, there's glad a lot I did, of room I didn't for, know you were involved in that. That's well good. absolutely. At where yeah. I promise you this wherever a stupid hunting law has been gotten rid of or a better law has gone in, I have a footprint there. Yeah. I pr- all 50 states, every Canadian province, up in Scotland <laughs> hunting the right red stag in Inverness. Uh so yes, I've always been a a fighter, not just an advocate. I don't not like I won't mention his name. <sighs> one of the biggest powerful celebrities on planet Earth lives to hunt not a word out of him. Mm. Because, well, I, I'm on. I, I, it shows me hunting sometimes. That's not, that's not good enough, man. People in your Hollywood community hate what we do. And you have an opportunity to educate them, tell them how fulfilling and how important it is and balancing the herd. So they're an asset instead of a liability, thanks to the USDA and the, the game departments. So, yeah. yes, um, hounds and bait, the Colorado thing is California, just vulgar. the anti-hunting laws. And what's worst of them all, just like Jack Schmidt, there's a whole bunch of game wardens and game agencies out there that qualify as no soul and no conscience because they enforce laws that they know are against nature. You can't, not hunt bears in California over hounds and bait, but then authorize tax dollars to go for a guy to clean up your mess for you because you didn't ad- adequately harvest them. Yeah. Reno, Lake yeah. Tahoe. I mean, yeah. you're aware no of kidding. all these frontline yeah. battles. So I raise hell all I can, and then they go. And Nugent's a coward. He's up in a tree, and or he's got the hounds. Anybody can shoot a bear over a hound. I'll, I'll give you five years. five years from now you come back and tell me how many bears you hunted over house well nothing to it climb the mountain climb the mountain and and breaststroke through that marsh I I know yeah
3: well Ted I appreciate your I appreciate your boldness I appreciate the strength of identity that you have I've always appreciated people that knew who they were that had a super strong internal constitution conscience and, and 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 that's that's what I've always valued well, about you. you. And your are uh, yeah, I, I can't thank you enough for, for, well, Clay, letting, us, for cult- letting us come over here the today. The
1: culture war started against hunting. And then came, well, and, and part of that was anti-trapping. And they succeeded. And within a year, they had to hire people to go to kill the beavers that were flooding all the driveways and all the golf courses. But nobody promoted that. You didn't hear the story in Outdoor Life or Field or Stream or Sports Afield. You didn't hear it at the Pope and Young Banquet or at the Boone and Crockett Banquet or the Ducks Unlimited Banquet or the Finaws or anybody. They were, there's a lot of inbreeding going on where as long as I get my dollar for the ducks, I don't want to get involved with that gun rights. Well, then you're not my friend. And you can't duck hunt without guns. And why do we have a three-shell limit that was implemented in 1937 during the Dust Bowl? Why can I shoot two pheasants but have five shells but six ducks and only have three shells? Well, we don't want sky busting. Why? Well, They're sky-busted with three shells. (laughs) See, there's a lot of these issues that our our so-called leadership is scared to death to address because they might be called unethical. Well, why would you need more than three shells? Are you a game hog? If you can't counterpunch that nonsense, then you're not the leader of anything. And so I've seen the failure of our own guys step forward with all these regulations that have destroyed the hunting culture. And I'm telling you the heartbreaking stories I hear all the time. I was busted because I forgot to put my plug in the gun. I only had three ducks. Oh, Mr. Game Warden, is this about wildlife management? He shot three ducks. He had a shell out of his gun that was a law in 1937, I want instead of giving him a ticket, go to your boss and say, "Change the law." I need to shoot six ducks, and I might only go a couple weekends a year. Leave me alone. Let me spend the money on food, lodging, hotels, grocery supplies, taxidermists, ice, d- d- gas, d- d- licenses, shotgun shell. Let me spend yeah. my money instead of going. No, you, you had. I snuck a fourth shell in your gun. What? The, what is that? And I know you thought the the Chris Brackett example well, that was a major offense. I want you to learn, it's not a major offense. I can. And I started giving you a list of major offenses, and shooting in a duck with four shells in your gun ain't one I'll of see, them. I see. I see. You're you're trying to they logic. They turned it into that. Yeah. They yeah. brainwashed us that that shooting a, a, a I don't know you can, in, in Pennsylvania it's a felony to illegally shoot a deer the same as molesting a child who doesn't see the difference and plus what what is the everybody in pennsylvania want more deer killed (laughs) yeah i'm with you i'm with you (laughs) so that is a bold leap Out of the status quo mentality that we're scared of our own shadow. We're unethical. Nugent's unethical. He uses bait. He's unethical. He killed more deer than I did last year. Shut the... I'm ethical. I'm doing the good thing. Everything I do is based on science. I know my habitat carrying capacity. I know how many fawns there are. I know how much land I got. I know what happens in January and February. I need to kill some deer. Shut up and have a backstrap. (laughs) <laughs> right on. So thank you for pursuing this. I appreciate it because I, I think getting the word, yeah. getting a sensible word, questioning status quo, questioning tradition, because the tradition has been bastardized. It isn't the tradition I was raised with. So mm. November 15th, I got a license. I got a tag and I got a not 06. Leave me alone. I'm going to shoot a deer. Is it over acorns or is it over the spilled where the combine turned? Or did I put the apples there? They eat apples. If I move the apples, it doesn't cause disease. It's apples. <laughs> but it's against the law. Yeah. It's nuts. So I could tell you stories about kids that quit the sport because they got caught moving apples. What is that? What is that? Mm. What is that? So, thank you for what you do. God bless the mighty spirit of the bear. That's right. And I will hunt forever. I just want to go hunting. It makes me feel so good. I just want to go (laughs) hunting try to find me in the woods, baby. That's
3: right. (laughs) Thanks a ton, Ted. You bet. Keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live. That's
1: the And you know the ultimate, what I've turned most heads with? I don't know if you heard my Joe Rogan three-and-a-half-hour podcast, World Record. World Record Podcast. Um, you know, cause he's gotten into hunting recently Yeah, and, uh, he's talking about the vegans and they, you know, they have a, they have a foundation of their, if as long as they don't eat meat. And I went, no, they don't. And I explained to him and he, you could see him furrow his brow and tilt his head. As I'm explaining, I go, you know how you get tofu, don't you? You know why crows and seagulls follow the tractor, don't you? The farmer's killing everything. He's dismembering everything, every shrew, every vole, every gopher, every songbird, every quail, every pheasant, every egg, every turtle, every mouse. He's killed them all. The birds are following to eat the dismembered animals that he's slaughtered by the trillions for your salad. Mm -hmm. And then you have a glass of wine at an animal rights protest. Have you ever met a vineyard operator? You know what they kill to save those grapes? Everything. <laughs> they have a poison drip for coons and possums and skunks and gophers and squirrels. Mm. They have a poison drip. You know, I heard Shane Mahoney say
3: that if everyone in the United States went vegan, they would have to turn a piece of ground the size of Canada into agriculture in order to fuel and, that. And, and, and how much
1: wildlife would that kill? And kill everything. Everything Everything that dared enter it. Yeah. Yeah. And if they don't get it with the disc and the plow, they come back a week later with Mansanto. And anything that might have slithered back on three legs is going to be poisoned to death for your tofu salad. And and Joe actually said, he goes, I never thought of it that way. And I went, that's why I'm here. And by the way, the tsunami on my Facebook and through my office of people that went, I used to hate you because you were a coward and killed innocent animals. I listened to Joe Rogan and you completely woke me up, changed my mind. Cause I can't deny it. I can't deny the disc didn't dismember anything. I can't deny the plow didn't dismember anything. I yeah. can't deny that Mansano didn't poison anything. Duh. So I think I really believe I've been I'm on a mission of God. I see political correctness and the denial of the urbanization of wild ground and the denial that it creates and nurtures, and I've been a, I've been a big giant rock of reality in people's soup that are getting splashed with inescapable truisms. It's yeah. science, so I, I'll stand. But I am a, I'm a keeper of the gate. Keeper of the Gate. Thank you. And thank you for uh, making this long trip. But you, yeah, oh, you got to hear Fred Bear. That's right. Don't you? Yeah. I think
2: if you've you got do. the energy for it and the you time. You
1: think. You think. Right on. Huh? All right. The song. What year did you write this? Well, what a story. So I met Fred about 1954, 1955 on our annual trip north. Yeah,
3: you were just six, seven years old. Little boy. Driving up there past Had his no idea shop. who he was. Yeah.
1: And he wasn't anybody. He just had a little shack that said bear archery over the top. A little, It was kind of a yellowish cinder block shack. Is the building still up there? I don't think so. Huh? And it was in Grayling. And my dad, you know, just, just like, yeah, we'll stop at the Fred Bear shack. And we'd stop and meet this tall, lanky guy every year. What a, what a story. And if that, I was already a, a bow and arrow Maniac kid. And my whole life was bows and arrows and guitars every day down to the river and shooting critters and shooting stumps and clumps of dirt and going to Miller's feed store and smelling the grain and the beautiful uh, new artistic recurves on the wall over the years. Then I started realizing I'm stopping at this place and that's Fred Bear. He's on the cover of True Magazine with a grizzly bear. Wow, that's quite a bull, honey. That's like the Chuck Berry of archery, man. Yeah. And so I started becoming uh, a little giddy, and I couldn't wait to get up there. And Fred was so kind, such a gentleman, such a loving, funny guy. And we'd go to the Grayling restaurant, and we, he'd order cherry pie and chocolate milk, and I'd have cherry pie and chocolate milk, and we'd be able to... You know, I was too young to really engage in any meaningful dialogue, but your, I was... Your dad was a my friend dad, of his. Yeah. And then eventually my dad, who ended up working for a Swedish steel company, con- you know, worked with Fred because we stopped. They were friends. And my dad ended up, in a way, working for Bear Archery, producing the cold, rolled, blue-tempered spring steel that went into the bear bleeder blade uh, of the razor head. Mm. What a great thing, huh? Mm. What a great connection. So I couldn't wait to go north to see Fred more than even bow hunting. And... I I was not a very good bow hunter when it came to deer, but I was pretty deadly on the river rats. And so eventually, uh, when I moved to Chicago, uh, my dad was transferred in 64. Five, so it sixty-five and sixty-six. I was in Chicago. I graduated in sixty-seven. Came right back to Michigan with the Amboy Dukes, and I went up to Grayland. Now it's not a shack; it's the biggest archery company on the planet. This huge museum, and I couldn't wait to get back up there. And I reintroduced myself, and I'm a long-haired rock and roller now. And Fred was a little offish, you know, because there is a a perceived image. That's look at that right. right behind you. Look at that. What do we got? Oh wow, he's right on the right in the porch. Right on the porch. And uh, so I had to kind of reconvince Fred that I was okay because he thought rock and roll, dope and drugs and goofballs. But he told me in a subsequent meeting that all his buddies says, no, 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 this Nugent guy shoots his bow and arrow on stage and he's always raving about clean and sober and he's pro-law enforcement when the hippies want to off the pigs. He goes, you got to, this guy's all right. And he he always (laughs) promotes the the mystical flight of the arrow. He talks about it in rock and roll interviews. And so Fred mentioned that he heard that. Long story short, so I hunt with him every year, couldn't wait uh, to get up there uh, to uh, Rose City at Grouse Haven. And uh, in sixty in 87, I was up there with him and all his uh, reps were there, the bear archery people. And we went for walks, When everybody else went hunting. Fred didn't hunt those last couple years. Um, and he had the oxygen bottle with him everywhere. And we went mm-hmm. for walks down the lane at Grouse Haven. We were just talking and mm. talking and he shared with me clay that he said you know i go to all these sporting events and they all know that uh you know i started bear archery in michigan and anybody under 40 all they want to know is if i know ted Dugan, <laughs> because i had kind of brought visibility to right. the bow bone arrow with flaming arrows on stage and Crazy yeah. antics and stuff, but yeah, if you're going to promote something, that's how you do it, I think. And then, Flame always, flaming arrows, yes, I'm taking notes here, and then always talking about my hunting trips and backstraps. And and so, he said, You just keep what you're doing. He says, I've also heard the critics, people thought you made a mistake by saying whack them and stack them, but what does that mean, kill them and butcher them, or <laughs> semantics? He goes, the, the young people that turns them on it shows that you're having fun. What's wrong with whack and stack? How about if I just harvest and skin? I mean,
3: what, what the hell's the difference?
1: But you, you go ahead and be, uh, you go ahead and be uh, uh, um, uh, Wayne Newton. I'll be Chuck Berry. Um, and so we spent that last October together for about a week, and then the next spring he died in '88. And I went out to do my chores one day, and we were all shattered. At his death. It was just it was just unbelievable because he made such an imprint on everybody. He's just a great, great man. Did you ever meet him? No. Oh, well, you're going to meet him right now. And so I went out to do my chores. I had my dog biscuits with my Irish setters, and I went, porch. I went and I grabbed the guitar, and I just, I didn't know, I had no idea. I wasn't thinking of Fred. I just w- sat down and I went... Oh. Now, I always play killer licks when I pick up the guitar, but I never played one like this before. There I was, back in the wild again. And I felt right at home where I belong. And I had that feeling coming over me again. Just like it happened so many times before So many times The spirit of the woods Is like an old good friend Makes me feel warm and good inside I know his name. It's good to see him again. Because in the wind, he's still alive. Talking about Fred Bear. Walk with me down the trails again. Take me back. Take me back where I belong. Fred Bear. Glad to have you at my side, my friend, and I will join you on the big hunt before too long and it was kinda dark, another misty dusk. And it came from a tangle down below And I tried, I tried to remember Everything he taught me so well I had to decide which way to go Was I alone or in a hunter's dream The moment of truth is here and now I felt his touch, I felt his guiding hand And the buck was mine forevermore Because of Fred Bear I still walk down those trails again He takes me back, takes me back where I belong Fred, Fred Bear I'm glad to have you at my side, my friend And I will join you on the big hunt before too long not alone when we're in the great outdoors we got his spirit we got his soul and he guides my steps guides my arrows home the restless spirit forever roams and it roams with Fred Bear when i walk down those trails again. He takes me back, takes me back where I belong. Fred Bear, I'm glad to have you at my side, my friend. And I will join you on the big hunt before too long. Cause in the wind, he's still alive. In the wind, he's still alive. In the wind, I can hear, I hear Fred Bear. I hear you, Fred. Hey, Fred, let's go hunting, buddy. Come on. You go up that ridge. I'll go down to the swamp, baby get that book. I just bumped. I sang it, sang it. Then I had to go back and remember what I sang, and I never played any of that. Mm-hmm. Great lick. Mm. So that's that spirit of the wild, I do believe. And that song, you 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 can only imagine what people have said about that song. Feuding families that heard it in different parts of the country that got back together. Chris Campbell of the United States Navy SEALs, whose last request was for me to play it at his funeral. Mm. And I was all set to go do it at the request of Marcus Luttrell. Barack Obama told me I couldn't come. Mm. Mm. And thousands of people, especially these kids, if you go to my Facebook, go you gotta go to my face. You want to know oh, yeah. what the hunting world thinks? You want to know what the non-hunting world thinks? My Facebook. It's the only place you're gonna find out. Yeah. Three and a half, three point seven million. I just did an interview. I had before November 2016, I had between 18 million and 36 million Facebook reach every day. Mm. 36 million. Mm. After the election, 3.7. Google Boys zuckerbergers censors marxists mm. but still with all those 3.7 go to my facebook and listen to the wonderfully supportive comments i don't hunt but i think it's great i wish i could get some venom you know i'm a hunter but i never bow hunted how do i do what kind of what do i get it's unbelievable it's to me it's like <laughs> yeah baby recruit retain re- you know
3: hey there's a there's a verse in that song where it says i'll join you in the big hunt before too long yeah one verse yeah does a 72-year-old Ted Nugent think about think about death?
1: Very rarely, only in perspective of my family. Because yeah. my kids, they shower me with love. And every year I see an increase in showering of love because they know that there's a lot of guys my age dying. Yeah. But uh, I'm so focused on living, and I take really good care of myself, but you never mm-hmm. know, lightning can strike in any various fashion, whether it's Chinese communist viruses, or some dirtbag drunk driver that's been let out after 20 times. Um, though I'll probably dodge him and then shoot him. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> so Uh, so i I, i'm well aware of mortality because i think it's a pisser because we're building a house so i have at least i'm 72 i want to live to at least be 100 so i got like 25 more opening days to go there we go plus i'm managing my deer and every year i pass up these button bucks and because i have so much unlimited time to hunt i can pass up three-year-old 130s not easy for an old detroit bow hunter since I have so many opportunities, I wait for older deer most of the time. I might see a squirrely one that's young that I think is an inferior genetic. We're talking open ground, not just my 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 uh, exotic wildlife ranch here. By the yeah. way, i got to comment on that because that's the, that's the impetus of a lot of hate out there. High mm. fence hunting. Facts. A guy who lives this stuff and understands Manistee National Forest, the Sudan, wild Kansas, wild California, wild South Dakota, wild Nebraska, wild Texas, South Texas. Have you ever hunted white-tailed deer in South Texas? Mm -mm. No, never have. Dumbest creatures that walk the earth. And if you really get frustrated and get skunked too often, find a place in South Texas and spill some corn, and you can probably kill them with a spoon. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but my point being— is that the Illinois deer I hunt are way dumber than the deer I was raised on. The Michigan deer are maniac radar freaks. They'll, they'll be a half a mile away and a cardinal will cause them to spook. Mm. <laughs> I mean, they're not a bishop or a cardinal. I'm talking about a red bird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, my point is here's the yeah. facts of life. I kept journals for years. High fence deer hunting. Or exotic hunting, the fence plays zero role in killing an animal. Zero. My experience is bow hunting in the Manistee National Forest on my 1,200 acre Martian, Michigan, no fences. It's the exact same thing as Spirit Wild Ranch, 330 acres high fence. Right place, right time, wind, sun patterning some feed some uh, food plots and some corn and stuff Mm -hmm. like that on occasion if it didn't fulfill me i wouldn't do it i hunted the sudan no fences i hunted zimbabwe no fences south africa limpopo no fences i hunted oryx and gemsbach there and i hunt them here zero difference either they show up or they don't Mm -hmm. either they turn broadside within 30 yards or they don't. It's not like the you corner them. I'm telling you, high fence hunting. I, su- I, I suppose there might be somewhere it's a canned hunt where they raise. In fact, I, I, I hunted a, a breeder operation. Did you see the Spirit of the Wild last couple weeks where mm-hmm. Shemaine and I were invited to this breeder operation? Where these guys were these these genetic freak, three hundred inch funny deer like props of a horror movie. Now, am I a purist? Yeah. That's my guitar, that's my amp, and these are my fingers. That's my grip hand on the bow, this is my drawing hand, and this is where I need to put that arrow. That's pure. I don't care if it's my old longbow or if it's my state-of-the-art Matthews. Hand, draw, aim, release. Pure. Pure archery. My bow hunting on Spirit Wild Ranch... For these Gemsbach and Awadad and Blackbuck and Axis and Fallow and Saika and Whitetails and Turkeys and Hogs, no difference whatsoever than outside the fence. In fact, my journal proved that my out my my no fence hunting was way more productive than my high fence hunting. Mm. There's, they, just, I, there's so they get smart, so accustomed to. I you, think they, so. They get. You got to walk further to your stand because they're here the damn truck. Yeah. My point. I went to a breeder operation. This old guy loves what I do. He said, "Thanks for standing up for our constitutional law and order." I raise giant whitetails. Would like to come and hunt the place. And I went. Well, I don't not, don't really want to hunt the place if they're. Raised animals, but I'd love to see it, even though I'm a purist. I would rather shoot a wild 110 inch three by three than a guy that raised a 300 inch because it doesn't seem like deer hunting to me. Doesn't yeah. look like a deer. Looks well,
3: those two things people would get confused. They'd hear high fence and think that's what you're they think they're getting, that. but that's not what it is. But
1: we did go there, so he's got and he's got got I think six hundred acres, but a lot of them are breeding pens. But it's a fascinating agriculture pursuit. It's the fastest growing agriculture in the world, and and again, I they're learning that yeah, is this? It's cute and different and exciting to see that much horn show up, like the stags in New Zealand that they raise for just sheer mass. But I got to tell you, we went there, and I did a show. I wish you would have seen it, because I articulated. You know, I have a buddy of mine. He uh, has he's been genetically modifying largemouth bass for a long time, and the state buys them from him down in Florida and Texas and a bunch of other places. And he asked, "Would you like to catch a ten-pound bass?" And I went, "Yeah, I've never caught a ten-pound yet." Let's go do it. So I had had to get the right lure, and I threw it in there, and I caught him. And I was kind of fishing a barrel because they feed them, and they're genetically modified. But it was huge, and my pole bent over, and it was exciting. And he invited me to catch a 10-pound bass, so maybe it's a little more exciting to catch a, you know, a, a hand-sized bluegill out of my natural lake in Michigan. But I had fun catching that genetically modified bass, and it was huge. And look at that bucket mouth and that belly hanging there. Well, I thought, all right, a guy does the same thing with white-tailed deer. Yeah, let's, let's go do that. So Shemaine and I climbed in a tree, and we put out the feed that they're used to, and we waited, and we waited. Just like we waited on the swamp, and we waited. Nothing. Well, maybe tomorrow. So we went back the next day. We did the We had to get the wind. didn't want the sun on our face, which Texas hunters need to learn. Don't look in the east in the morning. Don't look in the west in the afternoon. Just a little tip from Uncle Ted. <laughs> Anyhow, my point is we both shot atrocities, just 300-plus-inch th- things. But I've shot deer quicker and easier. On the open ground, so because it's easy in South Texas or in Illinois, in next to the game preserving you know, the forest preserve, you're not allowed to hunt. They take our tax dollars and shoot the deer. Welcome to Illinois, welcome to America. But I hunt them and they're they're relaxed. They, I still got to still use the wind, still use the sun. I still have yeah. the camo, and I sure make sure I got my silhouette. Card. All the th- pure. There's the word, pure deer hunting at my buddy's place in Illinois. Dumb deer. Did I like it? I could use a dumb deer every once in a while. Yeah. So that contentious debate is the 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 anti-high fence guys are presumptuous. And everyone, every time they go, ah, it's fishing a barrel. I go, really? Share with me your last high fence experience. Well, I've never done it. Well then shut up you don't like you don't like pasta, but you've never had it then you don't know if you like it or not and you don't you don't qualify as an argument so high fence originated in south africa because the animals would migrate to agriculture and the agriculture concerns would slaughter them to save the mm. agriculture mm. so some guys wanted kudu and gemsbok and yala and wildebeest and the zebras and stuff so they put up high fence so they wouldn't migrate and get slaughtered and then they Obviously, expanded in populations, phenomenal miracle. They have babies every year, so you have to harvest the surplus. I.e., basic science, wildlife management. Right. But when you've got escape habitat, whether that habit that escape is limited by the highways in Columbus, Ohio. Or the parking lot of the school in Columbus, Ohio, or this cul-de-sac neighborhood, and you've got a little patch of woods in Columbus, Ohio. Two hundred-inch deer killers. There's no fence, but all those con- control factors are fences. Not not. I see, fence, you, I see but, your point. See, and the, the easiest deer on the well, planet are South I Texas. Think, I so think... should I not hunt there because they're easy?
3: You know, I think I, I think the. What you're tapping into, I see. I see your point. I think what people don't like is the guy that's a, that kills a big deer in a high fence that puts just, it in the
1: book or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. that that's and that that's exists.
3: obviously what what gets them in trouble, or the or the or the guy that doesn't do any other type of hunting. Yes,
1: and well, then, well, quite and, honestly, you know, the guy that's in a high fence. And these deer are acclimated to human activity. Though I I stopped myself already. I got buddies over in Uvalde where these wild deer, no fences, they come up and eat off the porch. Right. So she, well, that's not fair. I like to feed the deer. What's not fair about feeding the deer? Well, I'm not going to shoot the deer from the porch. And if you did, I think you'd be a, a dirt bag. But if that big giant deer that you've waited for five years to shoot shows up at your stand, there's no fence. But it was really easy, and and sometimes they don't show up. My point is is that X deer hunting happens in no fence areas. X deer hunting, exactly the same, happens in my high fence hunting. I get skunked plenty. They don't show up. They don't turn broadside plenty. I I touch the stand with my my limb and I spook them before. ABC low fence, ABC high fence. Now, if if you've got a guy that I guarantee, you, as soon as they use the G word, I don't go. Until I talk to some of my guys in South, if you, you got to see South Texas, no fences, they're just crazy relaxed. Mm. You can burp and fart and sneeze and drop your bow, and there's you look. I'm eating this corn. Don't disturb me. <laughs> so to each his own. I and so that's point. why that's why they can wait for And six, the point
3: of what you're saying is, is unity. Just like there's yes. nobody's got any point picking and on those guys if they're not breaking laws, if they're not yes. hurting us conservation wise. Because that's saying what that sh- what business do we have?
1: That same squawking takes place with guys that's why they can not allow to use a, a scope on your muzzle loader in Colorado. So you wanna minimize my accuracy? This law is well, it's tradi- it's uh what do they call it? Uh, uh, not antiques, but um. The, uh, there's, there's this is the traditional style. Of hunting, yeah, whatever. Traditional it's firearm. Like this modern muzzleloaders are three three hundred yards, like a three hundred Weatherby. What does the scope? And they're gonna, with or without a scope. So, when it comes to those kinds of decisions, do you want most accuracy or less accuracy? Who would vote for less accuracy? And that goes to the crossbow debate. Well, again, the, the resource dictates, not the methodology, until the methodology interferes with the productivity of the core resource. If, if crossbows kill too many deer, right. then back them off. But right. until they do, shut up. But right. again, my crossbow friends, I love crossbows, not as much as vertical bows. But lot, most, of, not a lot, most of them go to that because they're shooting too much draw weight. They're hurting their shoulders as they get older. And more than that, they're spooking the game as they struggle to pull that bow back. I, I could tell you about how Pete Shepley came to Texas in the 70s and was shooting the overdraw. I don't know if you remember the overdraw. Oh, yeah. It's just a
2: terrible contraption.
1: And unless you were the world's greatest archer, you couldn't possibly draw that arrow off that yeah, at yeah. 85 pounds like Pete yeah. was shooting. So Pete was shooting 85 pounds, and that little black, new, brand-new carbon arrow technology off of a you know, 20-inch arrow off a overdraw, those Texans are, Phew. well, hell, that's some bit doing 400 feet a second. I'm getting one of them. What do you got there, Pete? I'm getting just like you. <laughs> 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 they struggled to... And they hung it up on a... Power hill.
3: mag. Do you remember the y- power mags? Yes. That bow that yes. could pull 100 pounds? Power mag.
1: Crazy you enough. Know, Howard Hill used to shoot two of his longbows, both of them at 100 pounds, and throw oh, them back together. But anyhow, so there's a lot of um, minutiae in our hunting world that the judgmentalists and the just squawkers amongst us, that's where unity hits a roadblock. So, crossbow, have a great. Do you have a license? Is it deer season? I love you. Compound, you, long, Osage, orange, cedar arrow, self bow, at ladle, the slingshots that shoot arrows, the new rifles that shoot arrows. I don't think you should be able to use those during the archery season. If the thing goes bang, it has gunpowder. You can't yeah. use that. Even the air guns. I don't think an air gun arrow shooter should be used during the archery season. Go, I'm with you. I understand. You know, but but again, if the consensus is that it, it makes me want to go hunting and buy a license and 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 invest in conservation, then I'd probably err on the side of choice. Yeah. So the unification battle cry, uh, guarding the gate, is it's been my lifetime for at least sixty some years, yeah. and I will keep it up. Unity, uh, uh, supporting of individual choices. And increasing opportunities, hounds, bait, spring season. In Michigan, we could have over-the-counter tags for at least two years without even touching the resource. Um, and the money that it would generate would be ins- insane good for everybody. And there's a bunch of states like that. So that's mm-hmm. what I, I keep focusing on. Utility, family hours of recreation, and revenues generated. I don't think there's anything else. With the resource productivity dictating all right. of the
3: above. That makes sense.
1: It's sound science. I'm just a guitar player. I never went to college. I was too busy learning stuff. And that's what I've learned.
3: <laughs> Thanks a ton
1: Ted. All right, man, you bet back at you.